welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we're talking about standalone houses. Are they a good investment in 2022? Now, it might seem really strange to do an episode on this because most people listening to this show probably live in a three-bedroom standalone <laughs> house. And they've typically been what people have invested in in the past in New Zealand. But do they make sense in 2022? And who do they make sense for? So we're going to get into the details, see who they make sense for, depending on which strategy you're following. Now, let's run through, Andrew, which strategy do standalone houses tend to make the most sense for? Okay, so if you're doing the passive buy and hold strategy, the one where you just buy a house and you hold on to it long enough that when you sell it, you make some capital growth and you pay off the mortgage then, then you really have to be investing in new builds now. And really the only place that we think that it makes sense at the moment that we can find a really good deal is probably in Christchurch because the yields are relatively fair given what you're spending on for the purchase price. If you're going to be a more active investor, if you're actually happy to get your hands dirty, get more involved, then you can use the Burr strategy and then you can invest in existing builds. But if you're not doing that and you're going to lose the interest deductibility straight off the bat, then buying an existing property just probably doesn't work now. As a standalone house. Correct. So I guess what we're saying is if you're going to be going for the new build kind of strategy, your standalone house has got to be in a cheaper area. So that's why we say Christchurch. But specifically, I think you're off your head if you think that central Christchurch is where you're going to find a standalone house. No, I never said you just want to call me off my head. I'm inferring (laughs) it, Andrew Dickel. So I think that you're probably looking at some of the satellite towns, places like Arangi Ora, Akaiapoi, you're looking in Selwyn, out in Rolleston still, in the fringes of Christchurch, so like a Hallsville. But even still, you know, a standalone house there might cost you somewhere between 800, a 800 and a million bucks. A yep. million bucks if it's kind of in Christchurch yep. City. But the reason we say that is if you're investing in Auckland, you're looking well north of a million dollars, and in which case the yield is relatively poor if you're not going to do anything to it. Whereas on the other side, if you are running that renovation strategy, I can't really see investing in much else than a standalone house. Reason being, you've got to have enough footprint in the house that you can add the extra bedroom, that you can tack on some cabins, and look, that's probably not going to happen with the townhouses. I mean, there's probably some people who are doing renovation strategies on townhouses and apartments, and I know there was a particular guy, I'm not going to say the name because I'm going to mess it up, but I think it started with a G, ended with a hoey. First name starts with a G, ends with a hoey. (laughs) <laughs> Last name's a hoey. I've messed this up completely, guys. Okay. I've messed it up completely. But I think there are some people who specialise in renovating apartments. Let's move on to the next <laughs> thing, which increases in value more quickly, standalone houses or other types of properties. Now, what I want to do is share my screen for all of you guys watching this on YouTube, for all of you guys on the podcast. I will do my best at explaining it. But do you know what? Two after, wiggly lines, one's blue, one's grey. No, no. Well, after trying to explain Hoey, then yeah. I, I, I don't have much confidence. But over the long term, and here we're looking specifically at Auckland, houses versus townhouses. Houses, standalone houses, have pretty consistently got about maybe half a percent extra growth per year compared to townhouses. On average. Over that average, I mean, sometimes townhouses are slightly faster. Sometimes they're pretty close. But I also want to show you apartments versus houses because that's where you start yeah. to get some real difference. And here we're looking at Wellington versus Auckland. And if I look at apartments versus houses, now we're looking at Wellington. Pretty consistently, there's been 
maybe a two a percentage percent, yeah. difference between houses and townhouses and apartments. We aberration at the start where, you know, apartments slightly faster, but over the long term, houses have been the clear standout winner in terms of capital growth. I don't believe it's actually because of the land, which is what everybody seems to what say. What do you think it's because of then? Maybe the fact they've got a larger floor plan. I didn't, you know, I think it's because it's a more limited market with an apartment. What's right. that smooth for? You think uh, you know better? Of course. <laughs> of course I think I know better. Whether I actually know better is a whole nother question, Andrew. So we can probably answer that. You know, standalone houses do tend to increase in value the fastest. In some cases by a lot, like if we compare them to apartments, in some cases not a lot if we compare it to townhouses. But let's go through where new build standalone houses are actually being built at the moment. This is if you are interested in new builds, but also it's interesting to see, well, where, where are they actually being built? Now, here we're looking at consents right around the country, and we're looking at the percentage of houses, on my graph it says townhouses, but it's actually houses, of all consents issued. So for instance, in Auckland, we can see that about a third of consents issued over the last year in 2021 were for houses. If we look at somewhere like Lower Hutt, it's actually really low. Only 23% of consents issued in 2021 in Lower Hutt were for houses. Yeah, I'm guessing that that's probably because they're quite land restricted there. But also, actually, if you go down the map a little bit more, Christchurch was surprisingly low here, 40%, give or take. And it's funny because Ed and I were talking off here about how we often hear people say comments like, oh, there's been an oversupply of houses in Christchurch because of the building boom. You know, we heard that about five years ago. You're certainly not seeing that now, though, right? Were you talking about standalone houses there? Standalone houses, yep. I remember people I remember people telling me that Rolleston was never going to go ahead because there too was many too, houses. Much, too many houses. It would never be popular. Showed you. Well, not necessarily, though, because Rolleston's in Salwyn District, not in Christchurch City. All right. I just wanted to see what you'd say. But what was interesting when I was looking at all this, Andrew, was there's a lot of blue here. So what I mean by this is in smaller districts, like let's take a look at Gore. In 2021, there were 35 housing consents. They were all for standalone houses. Let's look at another more rural area. Let's look at Westland District. 96% of housing consents or building consents were for standalone houses. Let's look at Stratford, 100%. Only 57 consents there, all of them for standalone houses. And that got me thinking, well, why is it that in those more rural areas, you would have a higher degree of housing consents. Well, it's just cheaper. It's cheaper to buy the land. And so most people are going to build a house on it. You're not going to have to divide that land up into 10 lots and build 10 townhouses. I thought so too. So we made a graph. And here we're going to be looking at the percent standalone houses that are being issued as a percentage of building consents versus the average value within that area. So we can see here, Auckland, as we said, a third of building consents issued were for houses and prices are really expensive. Same with Queenstown Lakes District. We've got 54% of consents issued were for standalone houses. Also, they're expensive. And then if we look at really cheap areas, Grey District, what's the average price there? Somewhere between two dollars and $4,000. And 97% are for standalone houses. So there does tend to be this trend towards the more expensive the area is, the fewer houses are built, and the more other types of properties, apartments, townhouses, those kinds of things. So, so you wonder whether or not maybe in these more expensive areas, you tend to have people like young professionals that maybe aren't looking to 
rent or own a house, they're looking to have a townhouse or an apartment? Yeah, I think as well, if we were to run a comparison of population versus standalone houses versus yes. townhouses, you'd see the same thing because as a city gets bigger, as a city tends to get more expensive as well. What do you see? You see more people wanting to live centrally, but there's only so much land available there. So it's probably what you'd actually expect. The larger the population, the more other types of properties are being built, the more expensive houses are, the more affordable properties are being built. So let's talk more about, well, where are the opportunities right now for investing in a standalone house? Now, if you're following that passive buy and hold strategy, if you're focusing on new builds, I think the opportunity is really around diversification. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you've already invested in a couple of townhouses, if you've already invested in a couple of apartments, it might be time to add a new build standalone house to your portfolio. Now, the burst strategy gets a bit more interesting because we said that's where the opportunities really are for standalone houses. Now, if you're in what we consider a more affordable area, like a Christchurch, a New Plymouth, a Whangarei, then the opportunity is really for a standard cash flow hack. Yes. You buy a house, you add some cabins, you add some extra rooms, you do our other steps of tidying up the kitchens and bathrooms, painting the interior walls, upgrading the carpets and the fixtures, the lighting, all of those kinds of things. Standard. If you're going for a more expensive area, your Auckland, your Hamilton, because properties are more expensive there, the main opportunity we see is in adding an additional tenancy or adding an additional dwelling to the property. So we're talking about converting one house into two separate ones, so what we call a home and income conversion. Or I know we've just had one investor in Hamilton who's converted the old garage at the back, actually had some rooms in it, but they've turned that into a separate dwelling as well. We've talked about it on the podcast before. But making it a multi-tenancy property in Hamilton or Auckland to get that cash flow up if you're going through the cash flow hacking process, if you're doing the burst strategy. And of course, the opportunity there as well is also that you could do something with it. You could subdivide that piece of land, add another dwelling onto it, maybe a minor dwelling, something along those lines. Those are the opportunities. But let's just come back to the new build side for a second. What we often see with developers is... When they build standalone houses, there are some issues with them, specifically in some of those smaller towns that would like to find good stock in, but can't really. So I'm talking about, I'm looking at you, Ashburton, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the big challenges that we see is developers or building companies putting too much land, or maybe they maybe they have to, maybe with their resource consent, they have to have the titles with 900 square metres, for example. And of course, if you've got 900 square metres, then you're paying a lot more for the land than perhaps what would be ideal from an investment standpoint, because an increase in land means an increase in price, but not necessarily an increase in rent or not a substantial increase in rent. And then of course, if the yield's so poor and you're topping up so much, then it's probably not what we would consider a good investment. I'll give you a really good example of this just with Ashburton because about a year ago I think I said to you and the people who go out and find new build developments for our investors Andrew I said I want some in Ashburton so undervalued it's actually catching up really fast at the moment by the way we need something in Ashburton and of course with that as well property is getting more expensive we wanted to find some more options and the average price at the time in Ashburton was something you know 400 500, to 500k yeah. it was really affordable go find us some new build standalone houses in Ashburton now unfortunately only relatively high spec standalone houses were being built there and they had a lot of land. So actually, the price wasn't that much cheaper than what we were finding in a place like Rolleston at the time. And so it was like, well, actually, 
it wouldn't be a good investment. Yes, there's a lot of land that's cool, maybe 700 metres squared worth of land, but the price is the same as what you'd find 45 minutes up the road and the rent is worse. So actually the yield was poor and there wasn't as much opportunity. And so I think that's one of the things you just have to be wary about as a new build investor, if that's the strategy you're following, to make sure that actually if I'm buying this new build standalone house, has it got so much land that the price goes up but the rent doesn't go up substantially and Mm. then therefore just as poor a yield I think that's really the trouble. Now, it doesn't mean those aren't great houses. They might be wonderful houses, but just the right fit for owner-occupiers. Correct. And actually, I'll tell you what, Andrew, I was looking at some pretty nice houses in, I think, Pocono over the weekend as I was preparing for this episode. You wouldn't believe it, a standalone house in Pocono, which probably isn't considered a new build anymore for tax reasons, might be $1.2 million. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my, or at least advertise for that. The price might come down after you negotiate for it. But it's just enormous. Well, watch the space. There might be some options there in the future. What price is it going to be? You'll see. Is it going to be 1.2 mil? Less. Yeah, got it. I was going to slap you, Andrew Nichol, on that pretty little face of yours. <laughs> okay, it's got weird. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about property with Andrew and I, come along to our next webinar. We're talking about how to get the bank more likely to say yes when you're purchasing your first or your next investment property. And I'm going to share with you our six mortgage strategies. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. How do you sign up? For that, well, it's on Tuesday, May the 10th at 7pm. Click the link down in the description or in the show notes. You'll be able to sign up or just go to opuspartners.co.nz. to the Property Academy podcast. I am your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicole. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, taxes and insights to help you get the most out of the property market. Until next time, 